0: Hey, it's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. In between his Pennsylvania speeches on uh, Tuesday and then again last night, uh, President Joe Biden had a conversation with the Israeli Prime Minister, Yair Lapid, uh, said he would never allow, the United States would never allow Iran to acquire a nuclear weapon, uh, of course, the, quote, deal, the original uh, JCPOA in 2015, uh, under attack from from various angles, even some Democrats, uh, about 50 lawmakers uh, calling for Biden to share the details of the potential agreement Uh, i even struggle with the word agreement because just like the original jcpoa was never ratified by the u.s senate which is required to have an actual treaty uh how would they get a new agreement through the process for ratification as a treaty At the same time, news coming out of Israel, a former Mossad chief, uh, telling how Israel carried out countless operations. Uh, You'll see Cohen saying that they carried out countless operations against Iran's nuclear program when he was the head of the Mossad. So where are we really? Is there a deal on the table? And what does the deal look like? And could this even make it through ratification in the U.S. Senate? Victoria Coates, Senior Fellow in International Relations at the National Security at Heritage's Margaret Thatcher Center joins me, a former Deputy National Security Advisor for President Trump as well. Victoria, good morning. Uh, Good to have you back here.
1: Thanks, David. It's good to be with you.
0: So let's walk through some of the things I just said in the intro. Uh, First, we have this letter, 34 Democrats, 16 Republicans uh, on the deal with Iran, asking for more details. Uh, That plus, how do you have a deal without Senate ratification?
1: Well, you really put your finger on it. You you can't have a deal without Senate ratification. And important to bear in mind, that's going to be a two-thirds vote. So you need 67 votes. You can't just have the vice president swooping in and breaking a tie uh, to have this thing become legally binding. And I also like the fact that you don't want to call it an agreement. It isn't. They call this a plan of action, whatever that is. Uh, But be it as it may, it's certainly not going to stop the mullahs from getting a nuclear bomb.
0: Well, see, that's where the how question comes in. You know, how would – frankly, even if, the, let's say, in the scenario, this were to make it through a two-thirds deal and be ratified as a treaty – how would you stop the number one state sponsor of terrorism that has lied to the various, you know, the IEA and others time and time again, that does not have a true inspection structure, that clearly they just spun up more centrifuges in the last few months, clearly is on a path that would lead to a nuclear arms race in the Middle East? How would you stop them Even with it, even if it was a ratified treaty?
1: Well, exactly. Uh, The Iranians have no good faith to offer. And we now know, thanks to Yossi Cohen, uh, who I was proud to serve with during the Trump administration, uh, we now know because of the Israelis that the Iranians were preserving an archive of material that was related to their nuclear weapons program when they negotiated the 2015 deal with the then uh, Obama-Biden administration. So they told Uh, John Kerry and his cohorts at the time, oh, we gave up all nuclear weapons ambitions in 2002. We're totally innocent. We're just going to cure cancer with our civil nuke program. Then the Israelis went in, did a raid on Tehran, uh, took out this archive, brought it to the White House. I was there the day that Prime Minister Netanyahu briefed President Trump on it in 2018. And that revealed that the Iranians had lied, that they were Absolutely preserving all of their material for nuclear weapons so they could restart it whenever they wanted. So the original deal was fraudulent on the face of it. And this new one will be fraudulent as well and do, as you said, nothing to stop them from getting a bomb.
0: You know, the, again, we'll stick with the how, but also to bring into this the lies and the falsehoods uh, in Tehran. You know, they have insisted uh, that the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, for those of you out there, closed the probes into uranium traces that were found at three undeclared sites. So again, more lies. More actions by Iran, not in the path that any piece of paper uh, that the Biden administration has in mind, whether a revised version of the JCPOA. None of this matters to Iran. It just, what's the point of going forward with this, you think, for the Biden administration?
1: It's really bizarre. It's like an article of faith to them that Outsourcing the United States of national security and the security of Israel to countries like China and Russia, who are participants in this farce, is somehow going to make us safer. And it's, it's ridiculous. It's like the globalization of our national security. We can't do it that way. We have to look at this through the perspective of what is best for the American people, what keeps us safe. Uh, and the problem for the Biden administration is it takes a lot of hard work. Sanctions are hard. Getting people to agree with you and also impose their own sanctions is difficult. Supporting the Israelis robustly, as we should be doing, so that they can carry out these raids that do set back materially this, this nuclear program is hard. And it means that you have to actually stand with Israel, not just kind of snipe around the sidelines of the United Nations. So they just, they just don't want to do the work. They want to hang out in Vienna and, uh, you know, gab with their Russian cohorts instead of actually keeping the American people safe.
0: Then to any next steps, let's talk about the other Middle East nations. Uh, clear indications, actually, some documents at times uh, on the Saudis, on Egypt, even out of Jordan, uh, but others. And, and regardless of whether they're friends of, the, you know, the great Satan, us, or little Satan, uh, Israel, or in any form, uh, other countries have indicated, and they have the, certainly have the wealth to acquire uh, nuclear weapons, and you know, we would see, in some sense, a Middle East version of MAD, uh, and maybe a more dangerous version of mutually assured destruction uh, in the Middle East—a nuclear arms race—and with Turkey on the edge as a member of NATO, how does that factor into this?
1: It's it's a powder keg, and and it goes back to your original point that this piece of paper is not going to stop the Iranians from getting a nuclear weapon. Everybody knows if you really, really want one, you can buy one. And so the Iranians don't necessarily need to manufacture a nuclear weapon domestically in order to become a nuclear power. They could purchase one. So no matter how you bake this deal, it is not a trigger to stop them in any way from doing this. And you know the notion of an arms race in the middle east like this is just so deeply dangerous you know we've we've missed so many times when uh, countries have gone nuclear you know north korea pakistan india none of these were predicted by the united states intelligence community we we weren't able to see it so when the current administration insists that they're going to be able to that they'll know somehow before the iranians would test you know that's that's just a a bare-faced lie. They don't. They won't know, and it's going to come as a as a terrible surprise. And then, you know, given our reduced influence now in the region, given the Biden administration's neglect and even abuse of our allies, uh, you know, we're not going to be able to do very much about it.
0: Victoria, a name that many people don't think of anymore, probably Abdul Qadir Khan, A.Q. Khan, more commonly. <laughs> yep. Is there a concern that there is a modern version, today's version, of an AQ Khan out there working with whether Iran or others? Again, you said you you know you can buy it today. You don't have to go out like AQ Khan did and give the the methods that you know how to make it as he did with Pakistan, which led to that increased race in the in the nineties between Pakistan and India.
1: I don't think we fully grasp the damage that Khan did in terms of disseminating nuclear information. And his DNA is in, as you say, all of these nuclear programs. And we we don't quite frankly know how far and wide that was spread and who's storing what and who's saving what. Uh, So I just I think that that this this whole process around the Iran deal is smoke and mirrors that is. Obscuring the very real dangers that we could face from nuclear weapons and all sorts of rogue hands around the world.
0: Putting the agreement aside, Victoria, what, well, I okay, can maybe we're not put it aside, but looking for a rational path when it comes to Iran. Look, there are lots of options that have to be both discussed and options on the table to stop iran at some point there's discussions of cyber of direct attacks there's the question of how you carry out the attack all of that has been gamed out time and time again for decades now but we're getting ever closer uh you know is there going to be some point a a decision a necessary not necessarily a good but a necessary decision that iran cannot have a nuclear weapon at any cost because of all the countries on the planet they're one of the ones if not the one you should never trust
1: no you're absolutely right and what's even. More frightening, And I, I know I, I tend to be the bearer of bad news, and I apologize to your listeners, and hopefully I have a more che- cheery subject at some point. But uh, the, the current regime in Tehran is ideologically so radical in terms of you know, their pursuit of a very, very rigid Shiite Islam. Uh, and they, they actually welcome the end of the world. That's something that's good for them in their perspective. So if they were to get a weapon of this strength, there is an unacceptably high uh, chance that they would actually use it. You know, rational regimes, uh, the United States, for example, you know, tries not to use nuclear weapons. We don't think it's a positive development. Uh, and so they do not operate from that same sort of framework of logic. So absolutely, we should, we should be preventing them. Now, maybe this is a little bit of good news, They're not 100 feet high. They're not infallible. They have severe domestic problems. They're extremely unpopular domestically. So if, you know, what we had done in the Trump administration, what I would recommend to President Biden, is be robust in your support of the Iranian people. Figure out how to work with someone like, say, Elon Musk on a Starlink-type satellite uh, system to to pipe free unfettered Internet access to the people of Iran— you know, we, we can export free speech. It's our brand. And help them coordinate and organize uh, and isolate the Iranians on the world stage. Don't welcome them back into the international community and feed them uh, t- hundreds of billions of dollars in sanctions relief and unfrozen assets uh, and then investment from, from various countries that want to do business with Iran. Stop all that. Uh, starve them of funds so that they can't afford uh, their terrorist actions and their, their nuclear program, and then figure out from a position of strength what kind of terms you want to impose on them.
0: You know, I, I like to engage in the if I'm Iran, if I'm, you know, insert perspective of the the, the, the topic of the discussion here. Iran, ghost flights, Venezuela, destabilizing efforts, and what if Iran we were to send the communists in Venezuela a nuclear device as a threat to the to the Latin Americas, but also uh, to further destabilize an already ruined country and now a region. It's, it's,
1: it's, a, it's a terrible concern, and it takes us back to sort of Cuban Missile Crisis type uh, scenarios where the Venezuelans, who are now increasingly dependent on both the Iranians and the Russians for, for sustenance. Uh, become a kind of a a training ground or playground for rogue regimes in our own hemisphere. And so, you know, both Venezuela and Bolivia, and now we have to be, David, increasingly concerned about Colombia, which has been a bulwark and a great partner and ally to us in Latin America. And I just elected a socialist uh, president who has restarted Colombia's relations with Venezuela uh, is, is Going to sort of end cooperation on the drug war with the United States and has all sorts of terrible ramifications uh, for us. So, you know, West the Western hem just demands our attention. The administration is completely asleep at the wheel uh, as things are becoming increasingly chaotic down there.
0: Yeah. Well, now I'm the bearer of bad news, because I will not ignore the fact that according to some of my sources, well-placed in Colombia, even in Venezuela, and I believe you have heard of this as well, there are north of 15,000 potential Hezbollah fighters in the plains in Venezuela.
1: Oh, absolutely. And Bolivia. And it's, it's, you know, we obviously had the attacks. Uh, in the 90s uh, that were Hezbollah-inspired on, on Jewish targets in Latin America. You know, this has been going on for a while. And, you know, this is why we should be, you know, working very closely with partners and allies in the region who want to work with the United States. And, you know, as a footnote, the administration likes to talk about getting to the root cause uh, causes of the, immigra- of the uh, border crisis. I mean, what better way then to foster these countries, you know, help them develop into strong partners of the United States. So that's what we had been doing with Colombia. Uh, and so that they can keep after the Hezbollah problem and, you know, reveal and eradicate these folks. It's, it's how they plot against the United States. I, you remember the 2011 plot to blow up the then-Saudi ambassador, Cafe Milano in Georgetown. That came up through the south, through, through uh, Texas. And, you know, was was uncovered by some really terrific FBI agents in Dallas. But that, therefore, the grace of God, you know, you could have had all sorts of people killed in that collateral attack. Uh, and that was the Iranians through Hezbollah.
0: We have to keep a close eye on them right here in America. Victoria Coates, uh, always a pleasure. Keep up the great work.
1: Thanks, David. Take care.
0: Victoria Coates, Senior Fellow in International Relations and National Security at Heritage's Margaret Thatcher Center. Uh, By the way, also a former Deputy National Security Advisor for President Trump. You can join me live on The David Webb Show, Monday to Friday, 9 to noon Eastern, on SiriusXM Patriot 125.